Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. Answers on how best to regulate technology differ depending on the values and politics of any particular jurisdiction. Yet it's worth looking for points of consensus, and in general these days, we in the United States have a lot to learn from lawmakers and regulators in Europe who are further down the path in their regulatory experiments. In this episode, I speak with one German lawmaker, Tobias Bacalé of Alliance 90 in the Greens. He was elected to the Bundestag in 2021. Um, I'm uh, Tobias Bachele. I'm a member of the German uh, Bundestag. Before that, I uh, did a bunch of things, local politics, um, media, uh, social media management and content creation, and I studied political science and media studies. Tobias, I'm very pleased to speak to you today. Um, I think it might help my listeners uh, who are largely in the U.S., although also perhaps a bit in Europe, just to have a sense of who you are, what your job is uh, on a day-to-day basis, and how it intersects with tech policy. So, you know, you've mentioned that you came out of local politics, and of course now are serving in a, a national role there. Just give us a, your quick bio and how it intersects with tech policy. Um, I mean, as a member of the German Bundestag, I'm a member of the Foreign Committee. I'm also a member and a coordinator for my group, the Greens, uh, in the Committee on Digital Affairs. Um, so obviously, there is already the connection to tech and digital uh, topics in general. Um, but since I'm having this this kind of also unique uh, overlapping between foreign policies and digital policies. I tend to always look on many issues around digitalization um, and also regulation from a very geopolitical approach, from a very international approach, and also often asking who might uh, copy that, who also uh, might be interested in using certain kinds of regulation technology to target it um, in a century where digital Digital authoritarianism is on the rise, and human rights are basically negotiated or decided on in the digital realm. Besides that, I'm from the southwest of Germany, which is more famous for uh, automotive industry, probably. But I'm also from a district where you have, as I said, or as it's it's kind of clear, where you have a big Mercedes-Benz uh, factory, um, but you also have IBM, uh, HP uh, Enterprise, by now only HP Enterprise there. Um, and uh, also IBM decided to build their first uh, quantum uh, computer uh, in Europe on, on their old campus in Eningen, which is also part of my district. So there is also um, an overlapping from from where I am from, and I believe the digital transition or the twin transition, the decarbonization and the digitalization of industry is very, very important, not only for Germany, but particularly for the Southwest. Um, and that's one thing that drove me into this um, field in politics. But the other part is really um, that I am passionate about human rights around the world, that I'm passionate about freedom of speech, about privacy. I believe people need to have a certain degree of privacy to be able to develop their own thoughts, which is basically the base of discussions and the base of democracy. Um, 
Um, and I believe that Europe and the US and the West and democracies around the world have a responsibility which goes beyond our borders. Um, and this is why I decided I don't only want to work classically um, on foreign policies or on data economy, as I do as well. But I also want to connect those both fields. I want to kind of take up one of the issues at the intersection of kind of U.S. and EU relations around tech, which is uh, the U.S.-EU Trade and Tech Council, uh, which is now working on a variety of different geopolitical, geostrategic challenges when it comes to questions of technology how have you intersected with that entity and with those conversations? Well, it's a very interesting point because there's no parliamentarian track in the TTC. Um, but I believe that the TTC is a very, very useful and important tool in transatlantic relations. Um, I know it was founded and the original idea was to bring both sides of the Atlantic together in times where... Politically, there might be dissents, there might be controversy, or there was controversy. Um, but I believe it's very, very important that the big two democratic it, um, uh, entities in the world talk to each other about how they want to approach tech uh, regulation in general. Also trade regulation, but for me, mainly interesting is the part on tech regulation. Um <clears throat> So this is why we said, or from the very beginning, we were very keen on on um, supporting the TTC, but also uh, realized that there needs to be, or this is maybe a political approach to it, but there hasn't been taken a decision whether it's going to be a political high-level meeting, as, for example, Paris last year was intended to be from the European Commission, but also from the US side, at least anticipated, or whether it's really only a technical, the administrations and bureaucrats are going to meet and are going to exchange ideas. And why am I emphasizing on that point? Because I believe if it's the later one, it's totally fine if we have just discussions behind closed doors, if we are um, basically watching what the outcome is, but like the political part is going to be decided somewhere else. The agreements are presented some, like not the, the, the final agreements on the third or fifth TTC, but like the high political controversial agreements are presented somewhere else and also democracy um, in, a, in a matter of democracy um, legitimized on another way. Or we decide this is a part where many negotiations are taking place and also controversial negotiations are taking place, but then we need to open the doors. And then, I mean, it's very good that the trade and technology dialogue has been established, um, but it's it's very important to shed light on the TTC because I have no interest that there is going to be a TTIP scenario where at a certain point, everyone believed it was to a certain degree transparent and we talked about it and it was no secret, but there was no publicity on it. And after years and years, suddenly, due to come some controversy, in some instance, there is a public debate around it. And everyone is wondering, why the heck, what the heck is the 15th TTC? What's going on for seven or eight years there? And I believe this is, this is 
a turning point where the DTC is also currently standing. Both, I think, would be very important. Both has their their legitimization or makes sense, but um, to a certain degree, there needs to be a decision taken on. Nonetheless, I believe um, it's it's a very important tool, but also regardless which which way politically or bureaucratic uh, approach you decide for. I think we need to integrate the very controversial topics as well. Um, for example, the, the matters of data privacy. The U.S. is a laggard on that particular topic, at least uh, with regard to uh, Europe. And I assume you're suggesting that because uh, the U.S.'s kind of failure to move ahead puts it out of sync with Europe? Yes. Um, and I mean, of course, I also see that there are um, with the new agreement, huge, huge steps forward, and and also the negotiations currently uh, going on on in 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 Congress um, on on certain data privacy regulations, and and I also understand that there is certain controversial view on the European jurisdiction itself, but in the end, um, there is one clear line: if there is a reason for a U.S. law enforcement entity to believe they should have some data and European courts are withholding that and the highest European court, for example, is withholding that, then it's problematic if another entity is overruling the highest European court on things regarding European citizens. Um, And I mean, vice versa, it's the same. Let's be honest about that. So um, I I believe uh, that the, this this somehow needs to be put on the table. And if there should be some movement, I really believe that there needs to be movement on, on, on both sides still, even if there was movement on the U.S. side already. Um, but we are far from the point where where I would say um, we are having same same level. Because as I said, if Europeans would try to access data of American citizens, which are stored um, somehow in Europe, that would be highly controversial. And of course, um, from a German perspective, this needs to be said very bluntly, we still remember Snowden, we still remember the leaks, and we still remember that this was not that that like the 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 privacy violations that happened from the US side were not only regarding terrorism or regarding uh things where we might agree on that there is a certain reason for it um but there was actually like on our government and i think this is a damage that has been done and and i think there needs to be more understanding that this is the damage that needs to be somehow in some way taken into account. Let's talk a little bit about perhaps a related issue. Um, you are an advocate for uh, encryption and uh, strengthening uh, private communications. You have talked recently about the kind of conversation that's happening both in the US and Europe, uh, where in one of the key constituencies that is interested perhaps in breaking encryption in some contexts or providing law enforcement with uh, means to uh, access messages in some contexts uh, are advocates who are concerned about child sexual abuse material or uh, sexually exploitive material. Um, How do you think about that in the context of the debate in Europe and in the conversation 
uh, in the Trade and Tec- Technology Council. Has that come up at all? I, I noticed there's a only one mention of encryption in the most recent White House release about the TTC, which is really something to do with quantum. So quite a long ways out, theoretical. I, I mean, the, the, the whole post-quantum encryption part is very important when it comes to data scratching um, and, and long-term uh, issues we're having with with uh, violation against that. So I, I would not underrate it, but uh, yes, you're right. Um, this is something when we look at both Germany, European Union and the US and many other states, all of them um, uh, signed the declaration for the freedom uh, of the Internet, uh, for the future of the Internet, sorry, um, and for free, democratic, uh, safe Internet for everyone. And um, in that, there is a clear understanding how important encryption communication is around the world for opposition leaders, for human rights activists, for women, for feminist activists, um, and many, many other vulnerable groups. So this is the first part. There is already a certain promise made by, by the European Union by Germany and by basically those fighting for free and open uh, internet by those states, that encryption is important. Um, And now we are having with a very good cause and very good reason, somehow a Trojan horse introduced. Um, Because the reason, no one can argue against that. And not even, it's not about do we want to do something against child sexual abuse um, and and content of those horrible crimes which is spreading online. But there is also a clear situation where we need to do something against that. But why am I saying this is a Trojan horse? Because first of all, it's not about mass surveillance. It's not about we need to surveil every communication which is now supposed to be private or which right now is private. We need to have the focus on better law enforcement, more better quality, better skilled workers in law enforcement, um, more tech resources in law enforcement, invest in things like gen- chain analysis, where you can actually detect where money and how money is distributed uh, related to those crimes. Um, and in the end, when you look into basically every European state, Law enforcement has a problem with those materials and contents that's already detected, In meaning it's either posted publicly or it has been detected by someone who was involved in a group chat in a platform, in a social media or, or whatsoever, um, and who reported that. And we have the files filing up. So we need to work on that and we need to enable people to easily report any kinds of crimes and above all heavy crimes and of course above all any crimes that involve child sexual abuse. But let's do that and not violate private communication in general because the harm we do worldwide by basically destroying technology that is bulletproof against authoritarian regimes who want to have a class citizen, as we say in Germany, a a citizen where you can just look through, as it is, of course, very useful for a Chinese social scoring system, 
we we cannot roll out the red carpet for those ideas and with that's what's currently discussed the proposal from the european commission with the so-called client-side scanning the chat control which would be implement a technology in any messenger to scan any private communication before it is encrypted, that would mean we would develop and fund a technology that could be used, easily used to surveil opposition, civil society, or anyone. And literally anyone does not even get into our or 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 get uh, into our liberal liberal minded liking uh, framework but it can be anyone who would be targeted by that and this is something which would be so harmful for democracies around the world because we're not talking about people who are targeted in some way we are talking about a technology that is looking for certain buzzwords for certain conversations, for certain topics, to then go in and surveil people talking about certain topics. And even though for the matter of child sexual abuse or grooming, on the first view, on the second view, I would even say even there it is dangerous because you have people who by law and by their profession needs to have protected uh, communication, even about those topics. For example, if a child, a victim wants to talk in a safe environment to a lawyer, and for some reason in the current situation does not want to have law enforcement involved because they fear for their safety, it could be really dangerous if, in another way, law enforcement gets involved. And so in a second view, I would even say even for victims, it's important to have that access to private communication. But let's put that aside on the first view. The damage we would be doing with that kind of technology at the client-side scanning, it would be horrific. Um, and, and also it would undermine everything we stand for internationally because it's not only the coalition for the future of the internet or the statement the agreement as it's now it's not a coalition it wasn't a coalition in the end but it was intended to be one but it's also when you look we greens are now our our minister um annalena berber is now the foreign minister we want to have a value-based foreign policy that also means we want to fight for human rights. We want to fight for liberal spaces around the world. And the best way we can ensure them, even within authoritarian regimes, is through encrypted communication, VPN, and other support on digital individual serenity. And to undermine that by basically putting a massive violence in place in Europe, this would cost all of our credibility. And honestly, solely speaking from a foreign policy perspective, I don't know how to discuss with the Egyptian government that they should stop imprisoning people for what they've written in private messages if they can point the finger back and basically say, well, but the technology we are using is the same you invented. We just stole that idea from you.
And this is just a very personal point to that. And you you, you see, I, I could go on on that for a long time. Um, and, and maybe the last point why maybe the German um, discussion around that is a bit louder than in other countries, because if we're we, we have to be frank about that, we had two dictatorships within the last uh, 80 years um, or, or 90 years. And, and both of them were were hardly emphasizing on on mass surveillance, on violating privacy wherever they could. Um, and I think there needs to be some lesson from that and not enable governments with such power, powerful, dangerous tools. I find you very persuasive on that and uh, tend to agree on, on those points. I'm, I'm interested in if you could quickly comment on the politics of this, uh, perhaps not from your perspective, but what you expect might happen uh, in Europe on this question. This is uh, very controversial because, as always, the ministries of interior who are um, negotiating that file on in the uh, council, they have an interest. I mean, the ministries of interior in the European Union uh, declared in a statement 2020 that they actually want to have a encryption workaround. So they were basically saying either we uh, uh, forbid encryption on private messages, but because we see that that's not an option, we want to have an implemented backdoor. And everyone was basically saying, what are they meaning by that? How are they, do, is it going to be a, on a technical scale, is it going to be a double communication? Everything is going to be sent to a server because of course, Telegram or other messengers easy. There is a server where everything is stored off, easy to have a backdoor on the server, but how is that with encrypted communication? And this is important to understand because you have a lot of ministries of interior who are either still the same ministers or still a lot of people working in the ministry who also worked there to, uh, in 2020. Now, they are about to negotiate that in a council. And of course, they are always coming back. And we actually had that in Germany. They came back to us and they were like, yeah, we, we went there and we said Germany is critical about that. But we were basically the only ones. So there has been a strong message from civil society and also parliamentarians who connected all over Europe and basically now did the math. And uh, we believe if there is a clear position, above all from Germany, uh, Austria already has a clear position declared through the parliament. So they are basically forbidding their government to agree on the proposal if the client side scanning and some other critical uh, parts are still in the proposal. Um, if there is a clear message from Germany, for example, and and I would personally say I believe if it if there if the clear message from Germany is there, then it needs to be cut out because if Germany says we are not going to vote with that, um, Austria is going to say that we are expecting a few more states to follow and uh, hit the majority to to block it. Um, but we have the same situation, as I said, that also our Ministry of Interior has some kind of interest. It's also mixing that up with a debate around data retention, which is currently uh, a very controversial debate. We are, as a coalition, as parliament, and so in the coalition agreement, we, we decided on different approaches, on quick freeze um, and, and lock-in traps. Um, so that that you have to uh, actually find a crime and then pursue it. It's a bit complicated and not 
that much my topic, so I'm not getting into that, but very good um, ideas as far as I uh, went through them. So there is a Germany interior debate currently going on, which is very political as well, because, of course, the Social Democrats, they need to back their minister. And and she is slowly moving to saying no client-side scanning, but maybe scanning of private data stored online. And, and this is not clear what private data stored online, what the definition is and what private communication that is not encrypted should be. So we are basically on a very clear line as Greens, but I would also say as Parliament, no private communication should be scanned. Long story short, um, we are currently having the debate whether we also want to have a, a vote in the German Parliament on that. It, it, I can speak about that very freely because it got leaked uh, last year. Um, we proposed a uh, a text um, which is very very leaves a lot of negotiations open for the government in the Brussels process, but declined some very hardcore problematic points as the client side scanning, and well, that's currently stuck politically stuck. But then again, and this is European politics. Um, you have also the European Parliament process, uh, and I expect the European Parliament to strongly vote against the client-side scanning. So I believe there are either two ways. The European Parliament votes strongly against it, and uh, we get a strong German position against that. Um, then the proposal is going to be stripped down um, and actually uh, probably negotiated by end of the year. Or that's not going to happen, which also is a possibility, and then it's going to be a tough call to finish the, uh, the voting uh, before the European elections in uh, May 2024. I want to switch over to talk a little bit about the Digital Services Act. Um, yeah. Every country has to you know, now bring on its coordinator and put the pieces in place to begin to think about assessment and enforcement. Um, what's the situation in Germany on that at the moment? And are Americans... Uh, who are putting their faith in the DSA to potentially address some of the harms of social media, correct to do so in your view? Um, I would say yes, they are, but it's not going to solve every, everything. And uh, we just yesterday had a debate in our in our group with some experts on disinformation, um, where once again it got clear that uh, tech regulation is always somehow lagging behind, and this is natural to the process. Um, and there is a certain gap where the DSA is not going to, to work out, not only because there are parts of the DSA where we believe the DSA could also have been stronger, but uh, also because there are new technology involving, um, and I mean, the whole debate around ChatGPT uh, now for, that's a new vehicle. Um, and and I mean, deepfakes is another vehicle where you experienced that last year, uh, where where I believe uh, the, the question of content authenticity is, is playing a bigger and bigger role. But where I believe the hopes are at least best put on the DSA is in the measure of algorithms and transparency. To have uh, VLOPs, the very large online platforms, 
to be forced to have certain um, reports on on measurements, but also on user uh, numbers and so on. I think that's a very very good part. But but above all, on the question that they are forbidden to use discriminatory um, algorithms. And if proven or if something is coming up, they need to disprove it. And uh, they also need to let government institutions and, and uh, well, this is a bit of an unclear part, um, but but science and and neutral organizations have access on their, on their algorithms or at least partly. And I believe that's very, very important. Although... Most of those control mechanisms are in hindsight. So if there is something going on after a year or two, you can prove that and there can be very high fines. And for example, with with, with Twitter, I, I, I have high doubts that they are going to comply with everything. I mean, it currently looks like they're not complying with everything because the first reports they were supposed to present uh, were not um, completed. I mean, the Twitter debate is... I would say a bit of a different debate, um, but yes, it is It is a very important step. Now, with the German debate to enforce it, I think we learned quite a bit and we're having quite a bit of a discussion on the Netzwerk Durchsetzungsgesetz currently. Disclaimer, I did not like the Netzwerk Durchsetzungsgesetz, but it is current law and it's not being properly enforced. Twitter should have gotten very high fines um, under it, uh, which uh, did not happen. So there's this discussion around that. And uh, then there's the discussion on who's going to be digital service coordinator. It's probably going to be the Bundesnetzagentur, a body which is um, currently underneath the Ministry of Economy and Climate um, and is in charge of basically most not only digital infrastructure, but also it's an oversight uh, uh, board to maybe translate that um, or agency on basically everything that once was a wire, maybe to put it that way. So on telecommunication, on digital um, um, communication, but uh, also um, when it comes to, I'm, I'm not too sure about see carriage ways but at least uh, also when it comes to to uh, train um, train lines um, so they are already quite a bit of an entity um, I believe that's would be a that, that, that would make sense to give the DSA uh, DS coordinator to them um, but their independence uh, is a issue and um they need to have a certain reform on that, uh, but that's currently their direction it's going. I want to finish up by asking you about another topic that I know you care about, which is the relationship between tech and the environment. Um, you've been working on uh, questions around digitalization, ways in which uh, you know digital technologies might uh, improve the way we live and work, and other aspects of, of questions at that intersection. What are you working on right now when it comes to tech and environment? I mean, there are two big parts uh, or big discussions right now. And and I mean, I would also say when we're talking about green tech, we have two pathways. One is how can we have sustainable tech, tech uh, that is um, run on renewables, that is not a one-way hardware and so on. There are currently a few things going on. The European Union is discussing a right on repair there is a rather controversial part on uh, 
that now every device needs to have a USB-C. I'm laughing a bit on that because I am in favor that we have a regulatory approach that every device needs to be chargeable through one common port and uh, standard on port. But the question of if USB-C was the best choice, uh, I'm, I'm uh, well... I'm not going to say anything about that, uh, but we, we will see. But in general, I would also say that this this is a step forward when it comes to uh, can I use my cable onwards or do I have to change them for every device? So this is one part. The other part is, um, and this is a very German discussion right now on how much renewables are actually used when it comes to data um, centers. Um, or servers in general, and what's happening with the heat. Um, and this is a huge discussion because the heat that is produced uh, in, in, in data and server centers, it's a huge amount. And Germany is currently mainly heating their homes with gas and oil, and we want to get rid of them. Um, so we are looking for synergies uh, in the near future where our data centers, data service centers being built near to any new build home facilities or office facilities, um, housing facilities. And where can we have uh, the, the heat used to heat to homes? Very easily put. This would work very well. And then the second step, and this is a controversial step, is on a certain time horizon, we actually would demand every data center, every service center to use their um, heat. Um, and of course, their uh, data center operators are very critical on because uh, they say, well, we have built that. Um, it's not as easy. We have uh, uh, cooling systems that are not, uh, not, not obliged to do that uh, right now. That's going to be a huge debate. And it is currently a huge debate, but I think it's important we're having that debate because time jump 2040, it's very important to use that energy and put it in quotes uh, twice. The other part is actually green tech. And green tech, in a sense, as we use it in the finance uh, business, technology that is helping us against climate change to have uh, to use less resources. Um, there we're currently discussing the whole idea and we're lacking in Germany behind when it comes to smart meters and uh, also the idea of smart uh, thermostats so that you your heater is recognizing, oh, the sun is uh, shining or today it's going to be warmer than yesterday and have such very, very basic data points in your heating plan included uh, this this is this is we are really really basic when it comes to that right now so this is one thing very empathizing a lot um, and in general i would say on the question how we can share and use more data because we have in germany very many or a lot of small businesses family-owned small businesses. And when I'm saying small businesses, sometimes they are hidden champions, uh, as we call them. They are number one in the world, but not a very specific um, part of a production chain, which is great. Honestly, also, also on a social scale, it's incredibly valuable for us as a society that we have so many small businesses because it's distributing wealth in our society very well. But the thing is, those small businesses are not used to share data. 
because they are sometimes working on the same product. They sometimes are afraid that if they share data, the outcome is going to be their little step in the value production chain is not no longer needed. And overall, we would say, well, that's great because it's more efficient. But for a small business, it would be the end. But then also, of course, because sometimes some, some small businesses are run in a very conservative way, not very digitalized, many reasons why we're sometimes lacking the data and sometimes lacking the sharing of data. And the last point is people don't really know how can we legally share data. And this is the point where we are currently trying to have a clearing approach, basically, with the Data Act, which is quite controversial at some points. But I believe the idea of finally defining that if I, as a user, someone who owns a product, am using that, and not only I as a personal user, but also as a jurisdictional entity, as a business, the data that are produced on that do somehow belong to me. They're my data. Yes, of course, the company who produced that device has an interest in this, those data as well. And I do understand that they cannot give me all of the data because then I could just basically steal their invention. But the, the very basic idea that if I use something, if I am the user, the data that is produced also belongs to me is a thing which is not regulated yet. And if we have that, then we can have in a second step a way more easier um, intermediaire. In, in, in German, we say Datentreuhänder, which uh, would uh, translate into uh, data depository or, or data custodian or trustee. Probably trustee is the, is the best word, a data trustee. So someone, also when it comes to personal data, who I trust to distribute the data in a sense that is representing my idea. For example, my very personal data on how I move around the world, um, what kinds of uh, uh, trains and cars I'm using to travel, and uh, what medicine I'm taking. It's very personal. I don't want that in anyone ha anyone's hand. But if there is a study done by a university and I, for example, um, say, that's fine. For that reason, you can have my data. I cannot get asked for that every single time. But if I have right. a data trustee, he can take that. And this is the kind of framework we are trying to create to then have a working data economy and have access to data, which then gives us the possibility to have a more efficient society and therefore use less resources. I recently heard uh, Susan Aronson at Johns Hopkins say that this is, in her view, the biggest challenge in technology going forward, how we pool information in a privacy-protecting way to allow us to solve big problems for society. So I think that, that chimes well with what you're saying. Um, we're almost out of time. I want to give you an opportunity um, to, to maybe offer a final word. Uh, you've spent some time in the United States, you know, trying to understand uh, the dialogue here about tech issues. Um, if you had a kind of message, perhaps if there are 
Silicon Valley tech policy executives that are listening to this or perhaps lawmakers in the United States or regulators. What do we most misunderstand about European approaches to these problems or perhaps German approaches to these problems? Well, I think there is a a huge uh, wall around privacy um, and and also, I would say, on both sides of the transatlantic, there is of, or of the Atlantic, there's always this idea. Well, there is this clash between the U.S. They are about free speech, and Europe is about privacy. And I believe um, both could be very useful, and not in a in a way that. I believe both is necessary for any human rights-based society. Um, But both perspectives can be very useful because to develop anything I can speak out on freely, I need to rely on the, the fact that if I believe I'm saying something in private, that it is actually in private. If I am in a room and I'm talking to one person, of course, this person can tell it to another person. It's the same in the digital realm. If I'm messaging someone, he can take a screenshot. She can forward it to someone. But I rely on that person. And I know what my audience is. And therefore, I'm able to think on things on my own and then have a stand I can take in public. But the other way around is As important, I believe the idea on free speech is very important when it comes to how to regulate social media platforms. But I would really, really love the U.S. to actually do it and not have a talk around free speech, which is actually, but I don't like my opinion to be regulated, but I want to regulate the other opinions. If there is a true discussion around free speech and the question how can how is free speech manipulated today on very large online platforms that would be very helpful and then there is another approach to the idea on we need to understand how algorithm works and on the other hand we need to understand how distribution is manipulated how content is manipulated because if i say something, I rely on that people somehow distribute not only three of my words, but also the whole idea of what I said. So the question of context, authenticity of content, and how the content is distributed, I would even say are more important than the question, what is the content, what is said? And this is a perspective that is has a high hard stance in Europe. So I would say, Both of those perspectives do fit quite well together if we would not pull on those sides against each other, but rather towards the direction we believe is most important, the free world, the democratic sphere in this world, and all those people around the world relying on that and relying and hoping on the free world and looking to that in hope to move in that direction as well, could profit from that. Well, an optimistic vision. We'll hopefully see that type of vision delivered on uh, in perhaps cooperation between US and EU. I'm sure it'll take folks like you uh, making more trips here and perhaps us coming that way as well. So 
Uh, Tobias, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Yeah, thank you very much for your time and having me. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my guest. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.